Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you're indeed Locked On Magic. We're here for a special Memorial Day weekend episode of the Locked On Magic podcast and the Orlando Magic Daily Podcast. I hope everyone has a fantastic Memorial Day weekend. I'm recording this on a Friday. I was thinking of running this Monday, but uh, things went south and, you know, whatever. We're going to run this over the weekend, so it'll be in your downloaded podcast queue wherever you're going. So if you're going on that trip to New Suburna Beach or Daytona Beach or Jacksonville or Amelia Island for my richer friends, uh, that you'll have something to listen to on the car ride. For this episode, I reached out to our good pal Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors to get his thoughts, his perspective on the Orlando Magic's hire of Jeff Weltman to be the team's new president of basketball operations. Check in a little bit on how he thought the Serge Ibaka deal, the Serge Ibaka Terrence Ross deal went for the Raptors, and some bigger basketball questions as now we move on to the NBA Finals between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. Before we dive into that episode, though, I do want to remind everyone that you can follow the NBA Finals. The best place to follow the NBA Finals is on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can check out uh, Locked On Warriors with Danny LaRue. He does a fantastic job. You know him from the Dunked On Basketball Podcast, I believe. He does a fantastic job covering the Golden State Warriors, as well as Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs. Cavaliers does a fantastic job covering them. Uh, the best place to download those are on iTunes Audio and Audio Boom, as well as some other places as well. I also want to remind everyone that the Locked On Podcast Network is looking for someone like you. Maybe not you. But but the person next to you, or the person, the other person listening, or or one of those one of those people, someone like you, can join the Locked On Podcast Network. The Locked On Podcast Network is hiring a national sales manager. Be a part of the fastest growing po- sports podcast network, selling the NBA channel, NFL channel, and the entire network to national advertisers. If you have the skills, the perseverance, and the game to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Email LockedOnPodcasts at gmail.com with your resume. Again, that is LockedOnPodcasts at gmail.com. And I'm joined now by Sean Woodley, the host of Locked On Raptors, to talk a little bit more about the Magic's new hire, Jeff Weltman, and some other issues around the NBA and, and our two teams. Because we're, we're kind of, our, our teams are buddies, right, Sean? Like the Magic and Raptors, have, they have a good relationship. Yeah, the Magic just seemed to like have to, you know, they have to have former Raptors on their team, I suppose. And like, if you go off of that uh, that whiteboard from, from <laughs> season, it sounds like they want a lot more Raptors. Like, I, I'm cool if Damari Carroll finds his way to Orlando at some point. We'll get yeah. to a reason why that probably won't happen, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a connection there between these two teams. I, I've I've had a few people already tell me the Magic should chase after PJ Tucker in free agency as well. So, uh, you know, we got we got the Raptors as general manager now. I mean, I'm sure those relationships are 
are there and and strong too. Uh, it's kind of sad that we won't be able to trade. So I figure we we need to talk now because we're probably not the NBA probably won't let us talk to each other for the next year. <laughs> yeah, we already got what we needed from Orlando. We good. got we got Baca. It's fine. <laughs> good, good, good. And we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the aftermath of that trade and, and how the season ended for our teams in a little bit. But I want to start off with. Jeff Weltman, the general manager of the Toronto Raptors, uh, because to a lot of Magic fans, a lot of, I guess, casual Magic fans, maybe not the ones who listen to this podcast, front office executives are all kind of these anonymous people. And, you know, there, there, there are certainly some names that, that rise antennas a little bit more than others. I mean, I think David Griffin, the general manager for the Cavaliers, certainly raised some antennas. Uh, Kevin McHale, who's also rumored to be connected to the Magic job, raised some antennas because there's, there's name recognition there. Jeff Weltman's not a name a lot of people recognize, but he's been around this league for a very, very long time. Uh, what I mean, I'll start with you. I'll start with you here. What were your impressions of Jeff Weltman's tenure with the Raptors as as Masai Ujiri's number two guy? That's that, that's kind of the thing, right? It's weird that you know the Raptors have like a pretty highly regarded front office. Like Bobby Webster, uh, he used to work with the NBA. He's been with the Raptors for a few years now. He's probably going to take over the GM job. But like Jeff Weltman, like it's kind of just hard to know what these guys are about because Masai Ujiri is such a big figurehead with the team. And even before, I mean, even after last year where Weltman was promoted to GM and Masai just took over the president job, like it's still Masai who's talking to the media. It's still Masai who has the final say on everything. He's doing the radio interviews and things like that around the city. Like he's the most vocal guy in that front office. And it's not a very vocal front office as it is. Like, you get Masai, but after that, like it's not a. There's no leaks coming out of the of the Raptors. Like you're not getting Jeff Weltman in front of a camera ever, and so it's kind of hard. Like the only guy you'll really get sometimes on the radio or something like that is Dan Tolzman, who was the GM of the Raptors 905, uh, the D League team. So like you're not really getting a whole lot of face to face time with these guys, with, with just the way the Raptors are constructed under Masai as the figurehead. Uh, but Weltman, like he was always Masai's number two, and the reason he was promoted was because. He was a highly regarded guy around the league, and the Raptors wanted to try to hang on to him as long as they could. So he went from assistant GM to GM, and Masai took that job up at the top, and just everyone moved up the ladder a rung to kind of just keep everyone happy, give everyone probably a nice raise and things like that. And But yeah, like he's always just been Masai's number two. He's kind of always struck me as more of a, you know, I think it, it's going to be good for him as like a president of a team. He seems like a guy who's very sort of, you know, holistic and cerebral and he's a really, he seems like, you know, pl- you know, talent evaluation seems like, you know, kind of his jam. You know, Bobby Webster is more of a, of a, of a, like a cap guy. Dan Tolzman, more of a scouting guy. Masai is obviously Masai. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of what Jeff Wellman was. It was just sort of like an evaluator, just another sounding board for, for Masai Ujiri. And ultimately, like the final sounding board for everything that the Raptors did. Like if you get, you know, for example, the trade for Serge Ibaka, like Jeff Weltman, I would imagine, was the last person Masai Ujiri talked to before that trade went down. Um, so it's hard. I wish I had a better answer. Like I wish, you know, wish <laughs> Jeff was more in front of the camera where we could kind of get to know the guy a little bit more. But he was just kind of behind the scenes. And yes, he was the GM, but... Everyone really knows that Masai Ujiri is the guy running the show. Like you talk about, I mean, I would talk about it, and I was guilty of this all the time, just like giving Masai credit for all the moves that were made. And he's not even the GM. Like Weltman's the guy who has that title, but you know, Masai, he everything kind of just falls under the umbrella of him because he's such a charismatic figure and because he's so just sort of powerful as a guy. So yeah, it's hard to say. Like I'm not sure Weltman's going to be, you know, this big gregarious guy at the top of the organization, but I'm not sure you need that. I think he's really well qualified. He's highly regarded around the league. 
He was, you know, well regarded when he was with Milwaukee as well. And before he left, like there, he, you know, famously was as he was leaving Milwaukee to come to Toronto, famously said, "All right, you guys got to draft Giannis at 15. Like you have to draft this guy." And that seemed to work out pretty well. Pretty well. So like he's a smart dude. He's really qualified. And maybe he's not like the biggest name acquisition, and like maybe he's not David Griffin just in terms of his ability to pull off just heists for dudes who just make his team so much better. But like, I don't know. I think Weldon, you know, I think the Magic are going to be pretty happy with him sort of at the helm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, again, I think that's like one of the, 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 the crazy things about trying to analyze and break down these front office jobs because so much of what happens in a front office happens behind closed doors. You, you don't, yeah. you don't hear or see any of these things that, that, that happen. And of course the guy who gets all the credit or gets all the blame often is that front facing guy. And, and I think there's, there's always a little bit of confusion with the teams that have the president of basketball operations, GM structure, mm-hmm. the, the president of basketball operations is the guy in charge. He's the guy that typically talks to the media where the GM might be doing a lot of the kind of day to day work. And he's more maybe chief of staff type guy who kind of gets, gets all the ducks in a row for, for the president of basketball operations. And I'm sure every team operates a little bit differently. Uh, but uh, certainly Weltman was part of, seemed like part of that process. I mean, he was the guy who gave you jury his first big break with the nuggets way yeah. back in the day. Uh, and so I'm sure you jury trusted him uh, tremendously or trusted him a lot as far as, as his decision-making and, and his evaluation. Um, but you know, I think there's still some things that, 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 that Magic fans can take away from the things op- things the way things operated in Toronto. I know Weltman, during his introductory press conference, said a lot that he was going to try and bring in this, this collaborative environment, this, you know, this, this style that, that Toronto almost had. I mean, he told a story where like even like a few days before he took the Magic job or a few weeks before he took the Magic job, uh, a trainer came into, into their room and was arguing about you know, was, 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 was speaking about a course of action that they wanted to take. And, you know, he pointed at Ujiri and said, I don't care if you're the GM. He pointed at Weltman, I don't care if you're the assistant GM. We need to do things this way. And Weltman said that that was kind of normal. That's, that's, that's how the, their staff talks and deliberates over decisions. What do you know about the way the Raptors make deci- make decisions and, and, and how, you know, obviously it's worked well for them on the court. But what, what can you say about the way the Raptors come to decisions and make, make personnel decisions? Yeah, it definitely seems like it's a very collaborative effort. Like, I mean, you have, like I said, like all the different guys seem to have their own areas in which they excel. And then they combine that to make a decision on a player or whatever. And, you know, the whole organization just kind of seems to be in lockstep with each other. Uh, they they paid a lot of money to get the D-League expansion team a couple seasons ago. They just won the D-League title this year. And, you know, the way they've run that is they've had sort of a similar setup in terms of, you know, what the coach is going to be running and, you know, the, the systems and things that are going to be in place for the D-League team as they have in the, at, at the NBA level. And I think that's probably standard for a lot of teams, but the Raptors seem to really take that to heart. And, you know, you just it just kind of seems up and down the board like everyone's say matters. Like with the coaching staff... You know, there's a, there are guys on the end of the bench like Jerry Stackhouse, for example, who is the D-League coach. Like he's sitting there behind the bench for, you know, playoff games and he's, you know, being involved in timeouts and things like that. Jama Malalela, oh, his name is terrible. And he's going to be <laughs> he's going to be a highly coveted coach one day. Um, and that speaks to just sort of what the Raptors have done. But like Jama, he's, you know, he's a guy who 
you know, he was kind of an unknown last season, was just kind of there to like warm up with guys. But now he's taken on a bigger role with the team and he seems like he's on track to be, you know, one of the lead assistants in the next couple of years. And, you know, Rex Kalamian, who used to be with the Thunder, he came over here and he is like a really highly regarded assistant as well. And the whole, you know, there's no more uncertainty with Dwayne Casey anymore. He confirmed yesterday that he's going to be back next season. But, you know, the entire organization just kind of leaves itself in a position where if one guy were to leave like Weltman or if Casey were to be let go, it just kind of feels like there is another guy who is, you know, just as qualified or and who can just kind of fill in that spot and move up like Rex Kalamian or Nick Nurse, uh, the other lead assistant on the Raptors. Like those guys probably would have been prime candidates to just move into the, the head coaching job. And I think that's just what the Raptors want to foster is that, you know, they don't need to go for outside hires to fill in holes like they're just cultivating their own talent within and yeah, when you're successful the way the Raptors have been, that's going to become attractive to everybody else. And, you know, you've seen obviously with Weltman getting plucked and, you know, uh, Andy Greer was an assistant they had uh, last year. And then, of course, he went back uh, to the Wolves this season to work with Tom Thibodeau because he was a Thibodeau disciple in Chicago. Um, but like they just seem to be they try to they, they want to collect the just the best number the highest number of smart people as possible and i would imagine that's exactly how weltman's going to run things in orlando because it's been really successful with the raptors and you can get into whether or not it's been ultimately successful because they haven't won a title but overall just look at where the raptors were like four or five years ago when Masai first got the job weltman, like they were weltman admitted, weltman admitted they were gonna they were ready to tank yeah, they were they were ready to tank. There was no leadership. Like Brian Colangelo had completely lost sort of the direction with the team. He was making these desperation moves for like Rudy Gay and you know giving Andrea Bargnani you know crazy extensions just to try to save his job really and try to save face. And there was just no culture or anything like that. But what then Masai came in, and I think just the way that the Raptors have run things has you know kind of done a 180 for the franchise's image. And now the Raptors are you know included among the most like well-run organizations in the league, and it's happened pretty quickly. And I think it can turn around pretty quickly with the right guy at the front of the helm. And I, I feel like Weltman's going to be able to do that just because of what has gone on here with the Raptors, like. I, I it's just it's it's weird for me because I've been following the Raptors for 20 something years like I, I became a fan late 90s like when I was still a little kid and there's just never ever been reliable steady leadership at the top of the organization it's never felt like every, anything's cohesive it's always kind of felt comp compartmentalized where there's different factions within the front office who disagree here or agree there there's there never really seems to be synergy between the coach and the front office but this time around like the last four years or so with this uh, front office, it definitely seems like everything is a collective effort, and I think it's been positive for the Raptors overall. Uh, there's there's a lot in there that I'm sure sure Magic longtime Magic fans will 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 feel very very familiar. I mean, I, I don't know where <laughs> I don't know where I've ever heard of uh, coaches not being on the same page with management, uh, going after acquiring high priced veterans to try and salvage something and save face. You know, all all that all that doesn't ha all that has never happened for the Orlando Magic in the last two years. <laughs> Um, you know, you, you, you talked a little bit, a little bit about it and the way Toronto's built things up. And, and I, and we're going to, I think we're going to circle back around to, to some of those other issues that, that you were, you were hinting at a little bit later on here in, in the show. But, you know, Weltman said, you know, someone at, someone at the press conference Wednesday asked Weltman about culture and, and Weltman kind of dismissed it and said, you know, this is just some buzzword. If someone's using the word culture, they're probably trying to sell you something, but, uh, you know, for lack of a better word. What would you say is the Raptors' culture? I mean, you've talked. I think I think you've hit on it a little bit. But if you could if you could summarize what the Raptors' culture has been under Ujiri and, and Weltman, 
Uh, how, how would you characterize it? Yeah, I guess like kind of like I said, I, I, like competence through cohesion i guess like if i'm trying to find like a whippy like a like a snippy snappy whatever the word is that i'm looking for if you're looking to, if you're looking for a 30 second elevator pitch <laughs> exactly like, it just seems like that's sort of what they want to do is have everyone be, be involved everyone being on the same page and like being open to disagreement within the ranks and being open to you know criticism criticism and constructive criticism like Masai Ujiri at the end of the season said that the Raptors need a culture reset and that the Raptors need to change the way they play and Dwayne Casey's going to be back where I think with a lot of teams like you would you would hear that and just assume that a change is going to be made from the at the head coaching spot to sort of shake, shake things up and you could argue that maybe the Raptors could have used a coaching change but I kind of like the way they're doing it where they're saying all right we recognize the problem. We're going to try to work through it. We have a lot of smart people here that we can try to work through the problem together. And Dwayne Casey's been here. He's been such a figurehead with the team. And, you know, with such good things have happened under him over the last six seasons that he's earned the right to be able to change on the fly and try to alter his approach to, you know, achieve a better result down the road. And, you know, you're in the Eastern Conference with LeBron James. Maybe it's impossible to achieve a better to achieve a better result. But, you know, I think just the way the Raptors do things, it, it really does seem like, no one's above criticism. No one is above being accountable and no one is going to be, you know, completely just sort of lambasted for being, you know, you know, having like a weakness in one area because there's someone else on the, on the staff somewhere who can lift up that weakness. Right. So I think that's just kind of what it is. It's just, it's really cohesive. And I think it's been again, really positive for the Raptors over the last four years. Yeah. And certainly, uh, certainly I think, think that mentality is something the magic would like to see kind of trans translated over where, I think, you know, I, and, and your, your listeners probably don't really care so much about this, but I think one of the issues with Rob Hennigan was he was very, very process-driven and was just so focused on sticking to his plan. And, and when that plan blew up in his face, he was kind of, you know, he, he was kind of at a loss. Like, he had an idea of the kind of players he wanted and, and kind of never – he was always looking at the forest and not enough at the trees at times, I, I think, if that makes sense. He just didn't – build a, a cohesive team at the end and, and when ownership finally kind of banged on his door and said we got to start winning that's that's you know it was already probably too late things were already creaming off the off the rails and on yeah. top of that there was so much instability with head coach I mean I think I think that's something that's 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 underrated and, and one of the reasons why I'm happy to see Dwayne Casey back is that stability I mean a stability can grow stale there's certainly a time when it when you when a coach kind of runs his course and, and it's it's time to move on but at the same time that stability is your rock and ensures that you at least hit a, a base baseline level, I think, for, for the most part. Uh, and that's yeah. certainly something the Magic have been missing with all the coaching changes they've had of late. Also, for what it's worth, uh, I don't think Jeff Wellman is a whiteboard guy. I think <laughs> the Raptors just last year opened their new practice facility. It's a really high-tech sort of uh, state-of-the-art facility. And in it, they have like a war room and it's all computerized like touch screens and things like that. So if the... If for some reason the Magic can pull off something like that, like Jeff Weltman, I, th I don't think is going to be looking to use whiteboards. Just, just I, to. I'm not. Give you I'm not 100 sure they'll be able to install the 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 moving iPad screens by the draft. <laughs> so I think I think he might be stuck with a whiteboard for a little while longer. Well, he might, <laughs> at least he won't take a picture of it then. Uh, before <laughs> before we move on, I, I you mentioned Raptors 905 and how that's that's really a, a part of Toronto kind of growing these these new voices in their organization uh, mm. speak a little bit speak a little bit more about that what role has raptors 905 played because i know i mean we some of us asked Boltman about about the the magic's 
G, I guess G League team now, which they're moving from. They bought the Erie BayHawks and moved them to Lakeland, which is just outside of Orlando. And mm-hmm. I, I think Alex Martin's the, the Magic CEO said when when he talked about the the G League team being an hour away, Waltman literally high fived him. Like how how important has Raptors nine hundred five been to to the Raptors development? It's been huge. Uh, so for people who aren't familiar with Toronto geography, uh, the Raptors play downtown Toronto, and the arena where the, the Raptors 905 play is like a 20-minute drive on a nice day where there's no traffic, ideally, uh, to, to the west. Like, it's in Mississauga, which is right next to Toronto, and it's just it's been a perfect sort of marriage between the two organizations because the Raptors have used that, uh, like, I think in a, in a kind of creative way. I mean... They, they've loaded up the, the, the D-League team with a lot of young talent. I mean, Bruno Caboclo was famously drafted like five spots after Giannis a few years back. And he uh, he still he's two worked... years away, right? Uh, no, he is officially one year away. Oh, he's he was one year away, away now. Wow. He's, he's, been, he's gone through the two years away from being two years away. And he's gone through one of the other years <laughs> he's away. Uh, so, yeah, he's just one year away now. I would imagine he probably plays a bit next season, actually. But um, we, we can get to that. <laughs> I suppose if uh, <laughs> I don't know, we'll see. I, he I hate, a really hate, hate, you got to hate Fran Fischel for putting that meme on him, but it, 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 was, it, it was a it great ruined, line. It, it ruined his career, man. It did. Like, oh man, brutal. But either way, uh, he scored 31 points in the D League uh, clinching game. By the way, so that's uh, that's nice. But either way, yeah. Just in terms of how they use the D League team, I mean, for example, this season they could even do things like have guys go down for like rehab stints. I mean, Delon Wright came back from injury, and like he probably was too good for the D League, but he you know missed a, a big chunk of the season to start the year, and uh, and you know worked his way back through the D League team. Jared Zellinger even played a couple games there. I'm pretty sure he gets a D League ring because he played a couple games there when he was recovering from his uh, broken foot that he had surgery for. Um, and I'm not sure many teams do that because you have to get permission of players who have more than two years experience to go to the D league and they have sort of established that relationship with guys and with that team that like they can do that. And, you know, it's just been a pipeline for a lot of stuff that the Raptors are going to do. I think Dan Tolzman, he's, you know, a pretty up and coming sort of executive. He's been the D league, you know, GM for the last couple of years. He's also like one of the heads of scouting with the Raptors, as I mentioned, and like he's very much involved with the Raptors day to day. So there's like a lot of synergy between the two teams. And then like look at the back end of the Raptors bench. I mean, Jakob Pertl, you know, he didn't play much there kind of by necessity, but like he played a little bit of the D-League this year. Norm Powell, you know, he is a full time rotation player now by virtue of the Terrence Ross trade uh, in midseason. But, you know, he started his rookie season like the first half of the year just dominating the D-League and getting his reps in there when there was no playing time for him. Uh, at the NBA level, uh, DeLon Wright, you know, Fred Van Vliet was a really good player for the D-League this year when he was down there. Pascal Siakam started the season. You know, he played like 38 games for the Raptors as a starter. And then as the rotation, you know, kind of pushed him out, he just went down to the D-League and dominated down there. So, like, I, they have no problem sending their prospects down there. I think they like having that team because it allows them to draft a bunch of prospects and have them at the end of the bench and be able to send them down as, as assignees. And, you know, be able to call them up whenever they want. There was a game this season where Jakob Pertl played for a D, played a D-League game at noon and then an NBA game at 7 um, in the same day. I think it was the first time anyone's ever done that. And just the it, it's just been a really great relationship. So, yeah, I think having the, the Magic team, you know, be an hour away, that's going to be a huge thing. And Jeff Weltman is very familiar with using the D-League in creative ways to try to help just, you know, make things easier on the day-to-day for the roster. So uh, I think that's going to be a really nice thing for the Magic next year. Yeah, definitely a lot lot of advantages there. Let's let's turn away from, from the general manager. Uh, since since the season's been over, it's been 
more than a month for the Magic. It's been a f- few weeks for, for you guys. Uh, what, what, what was the Serge Ibaka experience like for you guys? How, how do you, you know, coming now out of, the, out of the way the season ended, how would you evaluate the trade that, that the Magic and Raptors pulled off at, the, at, at near the deadline? Man, having a competent power forward was uh, was pretty great, I gotta say. As I mentioned, Pascal Siakam played yeah. a whole lot of minutes at the power forward this year. Patrick Patterson missed a bunch of time. There were times where like Lucas Noguera was playing power forward at a necessity, and that's not something you want to have. And then Ibaka came in, the defense immediately got a whole bunch better. I think we got a better version of Ibaka in Toronto than Orlando did. Um, he seemed more engaged, and I think he you know benefited too. He played a lot of crunch time minutes at, at center, and I think that's where he's probably best you know, situated going forward. I think that's going to be his best position, and I think if the Raptors are going to bring him back, it doesn't make a ton of sense to have Jonas Valanciunas on the roster anymore because I think Ibaka is just going to be a more effective player to have at the center, uh, especially in the modern NBA where you got to have some shooting. And there was a time where Ibaka was like, he just couldn't miss from three, and it was incredible considering the production the Raptors haven't gotten from that position. I mean, Luis Scola started playoff games for the Raptors at the four last year. It's been an ongoing problem for ages now, and ever since Chris Bosh left, really, and Ibaka just kind of lifted. It wasn't just replacing a, like a zero on the roster. It was replacing an active negative uh, at the four, so that, that, that was huge. And I think, you know, in the Bucks series in the playoffs, he was— you know, until the last game where DeRozan had a great game and that one where the, the Bucks almost came back in game six, like Ibaka was probably the best player in that series for the Raptors. His defense was incredible. There were like multiple blocks on Giannis at the rim that like very few players I think are actually capable of. And he was hitting a bunch of threes. And that was just a, such a great boost. I'm fully on board with bringing Ibaka back. I know there are questions about his age and maybe his durability, and there were definitely times where, and I'm sure you saw this this season as well, second night of a back-to-back, kind of a non-starter for him, but uh, <laughs> overall, he was, uh, he was was it, it was just nice to have a competent player at that position for the Raptors, and I'm fully on board with bringing him back. Bring back the whole band for me. Like Maybe you got to let Patrick Patterson walk or whoever to try to limit your luxury tax bill, but... Ibaka, DeRozan, Lowry is, I think, a core you can ride with, especially when LeBron is just kind of going to you know, hold rule over the Eastern Conference for forever. I think rolling back a pretty good team with Ibaka is, uh, is more than you know, justifiable. And Ibaka, you know, he had issues, he had his issues against the Cavs where he missed some shots and his passing isn't great. And that's something the Raptors definitely need from their secondary guys at times when, especially in the playoffs, when teams are going to be trapping DeRozan and Lowry and getting the ball out of their hands and forcing the secondary guys to make plays. And Ibaka just isn't very good at that. I think if he was you know, playing center, like not next to Jonas Valanciunas, who also is very bad at that, I think it might be less of an issue. But uh, overall, yeah, there are some issues with Ibaka's game, but it's just he's so much better than what the Raptors have had that it was just a real treat to watch him uh, through, throughout the stretch of the season. And like, the Raptors went 14-7 and seven without Kyle Lowry after the All-Star break and after the trade deadline. And Ibaka, you know, other than DeRozan, like Ibaka might have been the biggest reason for that. He took on a big offensive load, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and he was, I think, a lot better than you will probably remember him as as a Magic player. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think what you said there about Ibaka being engaged when he when he was engaged in Orlando, and and, and there are definitely a few, there are definitely plenty of examples of him just being an absolute terror on the defensive end in his short stint with the Magic. I think. The team, the, frust- the, the team's general frustration, the fact that the, the roster never really fit, the fact that they were really out of the playoff race very early on in the season, I think that mm-hmm. got him to tune out a little bit. I mean, I, I think about the games where he played really well. In fact, his last game with the Magic against the Heat, he played really, really well. I mean, it was a, mm-hmm. 
it was a kind of a blowout. It was like a, a like a weird blowout win all of a sudden, and we're, and everyone was like, "Where is this Magic team all the time? Like, why can't they play like this all the time?" And that's yeah. just kind of the way I think Ibaka is is wired a little. Uh, maybe that's a little unfair to say that, but but that's just that's that that was kind of his his mo in Orlando was he, you know, for lack of a better term, he didn't wasn't always checked in as, as much as he should have been because he was obviously he can obviously still contribute at a very very high level to a playoff caliber team like Toronto and and with Lowry out, I absolutely agree. He was they, they'd be they would have been toast. They would have fallen. Much they would have fallen really far down that that Eastern Conference totem pole if Ibaka weren't there. Well, like it actually would have been nice if they had fallen to four or five. <laughs> That's true. Uh, avoided the Cavs, but yeah, like yeah, he made them too good to uh, avoid the Cavs, which is uh, I guess a good thing and also bad. Um, and I guess it's like human nature too, right? Like he sure. was on Thunder. Like think of the high leverage games he played in. Like think of that sure. Conference Finals last season. And he's I, like, he's just, the reason the. I mean, to me, he was the reason the the Thunder went up three one on the Warriors because he was just yeah, he was blowing he was, up every pick and roll. Yeah, he was absurd, and like I, I can totally understand why going from that you know pressure cooker of a situation where every single game you're in, especially come playoff time, is just like so high leverage, so high stakes, and then going to the Magic, like I see you know you know why he might feel a little less engaged, and like I think you could even see it. I mean. It was nice to see, as someone who follows the Raptors, a team that has its stars sometimes not play so well in the playoffs, it was really nice to see Ibaka just, like, kind of step it up in that first-round series against the Bucks. And, you know, that was, like, the lowest leverage playoff series he must have played in in, like, six or seven years. Uh, but he was still just fantastic, and you could tell that he just kind of amps it up for the playoffs. And so I'm, again, totally okay if he's going to be around long-term here with the Raptors, even if there's some questions about if he's 35 or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you can always sense that Ibaka had this extra gear, and I mean, I think Orlando gave. I think, I think, it, in fairness, Orlando kind of gave him the opportunity to be the guy and see if he could do that. And you know, I, I, my my belief about NBA about the NBA and the way rosters are constructed is all these guys can play. You're not in the NBA because you can't play. The good, the, what separates the good teams from the bad teams are putting their players in situations where they can succeed. Some guys are meant to yeah. be your your top guy. Some guys are meant to be third options. And and Ibaka is kind of in that in that mode where you know the Magic thought you know let's take a risk and see if he can be our number one guy. And while his scoring was up and and like I think Ibaka played perfectly fine in Orlando, they needed him to elevate everyone else, and that just isn't in his makeup, and that just isn't who he is as a player. And and that's that's ultimately I think one of the many reasons the Magic season collapsed the way it did. Yeah, and I mean, hey, good on the the magic for getting an actual number one guy in exchange for a Baca. <laughs> um, you, you guys, live, so yeah, um, no, we'll, we'll I'm, see. I'm only sort of kidding. Like, I, you're, you're I, like I have a Terrence picture Ross of Terrence guy. Ross in my room, and I, yeah, I have a Terrence Ross jersey. Like, I, I I'm probably not the best, most unbiased person to talk to about Terrence Ross, but uh, <laughs> I was only like fifty percent joking with that. Yeah, no, and 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 Terrence, Terrence, Terrence. Like, I don't know how this happened, and I think it's more the the Sentinels beat writer than than Terrence. Terrence, I think, mentioned that he was going to take his kid to Gatorland. There's a there's a little amusement park in Orlando among the many that's just like a kind of alligator farm, and they you know they have like you can go up and see the alligators just sunbathing, and they they have a guy come and like sit on, sit on one of the alligators and open its mouth to show all the teeth and all that all that stuff, and and you know like 
the, the Sentinel reporter kept saying, hey, have you gone to Gatorland yet? Have you gone to Gatorland yet? <laughs> and and if Gatorland wants to advertise on this podcast, absolutely, by all means, I want to help help the restore the Gatorland Gatorhead fund as much as possible. But, like, it was just, like, this weird – I mean, Orlando is a, a strange place. Like, everyone who lives on lake on the lakefront has had a Gator encounter. Like, I think Frank Vogel – during like training camp said, you know, one of the things he was getting used to in Orlando is he has a gator living in his backyard now. Um, not, not by choice, uh, but um, yeah, uh, Terrence, Terrence was a good guy. Terrence, Terrence was, was a good guy. I'm, I'm optimistic. I know a lot of people are really, really high on him. I'm kind of, I'm lukewarm. I just want to see him become more consistent. I think, I think that's where I'm at on the, on the Terrence Ross train. I think he's a really valuable player. Um, he just, I mean, like, like so much of his career, it's just about getting consistency. And I think, toward the end of this season, we were seeing Ross get a little bit more comfortable in that role where the Magic were really relying relying on him offensively every night, and he was beginning to, to bring up that consistency factor and, and, and be a consistent option for them. If anything, there were, there were times this season where Ross was going really, really well, and then in the fourth quarter, they just didn't go to him at all, and, I'm, and we were, everyone was like, get Ross the basketball right now. That's uh yeah I would expect that to continue the the lack of consistency yeah. Yeah, that's just kind of who Ross is but like he is a good dude and like his his like career trajectory might just end up with him being like a gunner off the bench like a Jamal Crawford Jr Smith type which is totally fine they because made good careers off that yeah he could freaking shoot the ball man and like yes it'd be nice if he could use his ridiculous athleticism a little bit more as a slasher and that's gonna frustrate you for sure I can guarantee you. You're going to look back and see that he had like maybe like seven or eight dunks on the season, and you're wondering like why didn't he have fifty? Because oh, we waited, like, we waited so long for a Terrence yeah. Ross dunk. It took like it took like ten games for us to get our first Terrence Ross dunk, and yeah, and we were all like just like come on, just 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 yeah. get a steal and get get out and get out in transition a little bit. That's almost like a, a like a charming part of the Terrence Ross experience is that the dunks are so thunderous yet so rare that like it, it feels special when he busts one out for you. Like, he did that 360 against Portland this year. That was just like, all right, this th- th- do this every day because you could actually do this every day if you wanted to. But, yeah, he just, like, I don't know. He – I don't want to say he doesn't work hard because I think he does. I just think he kind of has issues with, like, keeping it on all the time, and that's totally fine. Like, it, not it, everyone – It seems like, like – like, he- I mean, I, and not to get too psychoanalytical here. It seems like he's, he just doesn't have a very aggressive personality. Yeah, that's totally, I think that's totally accurate. Like, he's just, he's a chill dude. Like, he likes to play video games and hang out. And, like, he's not, you know, I wouldn't say he's like DeMar DeRozan, for example, in that respect, where DeRozan's at the gym, like, the second the season is over, he's in the gym working for the next season. Like, Ross likes to just chill a little bit. And I think that's totally okay and totally acceptable. He's a professional basketball player. He can do whatever the hell he wants. And, like, yes, it's it's frustrating that sometimes it seems like if you were to put it all together, he could be, like, a top 20 player just because he's so talented. But, you know, if you get a guy who is only going to bust that out for, like, 20 games a year, then that's totally okay, too, because he can still be useful for you. He, I think he really did start to become more comfortable with the Raptors when he got moved to the bench and mm-hmm. like he just he seemed like he was just kind of at home being able to come off the bench like it was I guess when they signed Damari Carroll that's when that move happened so it was two, a season and a half that he did with the Raptors and he just seemed a lot more comfortable he knew he was going to be the go-to guy offensively off the bench and like, I mean I tell you the, the Raptors definitely missed him you know I think they do that trade 100 times out of 100 just because Ibaka was such a need for them. But, like, they missed his shooting in the playoffs. They missed his quick-fire offense because as, as good as Norm Powell is probably going to be someday, like, he's just not as comfortable just 
you know, shooting the lights out whenever he wants to off the bench. And that the Raptors definitely like felt that. So yeah, you're going to have your ups and downs with Ross. I guarantee you, but one day you will buy a Terrence Ross Orlando magic Jersey and it'll be all good. I, I am, I'm awaiting that day. Cause I think, I do think Terrence Ross is a cool dude. And, 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 you know, I think the magic, buy, has to be... send me one, by the way, actually, huh? if you send me, but buy, buy two jerseys and send me one. Okay. I'll get you, I'll get you, I'll get you a Terrence Ross magic Jersey next, <laughs> next time. Next time I'm down at the Amway center. Um, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that I'm sure they're stocked full of them. Uh, and, and, and such. Um, well, player on the team of course they are yeah of course of course i mean it's right next to the the i haven't been in the magic team store in forever it's 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 there in the amway center and i i never go inside um it's actually not as big as it should be either um but that's 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 for that's for another day when they open when they reopen the magic fan attic at the entertainment complex across the street then i'll be happy um uh you know, we talked a little just to kind of close the show out and talk about something big picture. We talked we were talking a little bit before the show, yeah. um, and this is something that I've sensed too. And 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 some of the criticism of, of Jeff Weltman is a lot of people have said you know even the hiring of John Hammond who is equal is just as experienced, more experienced, and just as well thought of around the league. Everyone's kind of said. I mean, look at the teams they've worked for. I mean, Hammond was with the Bucks. They're kind of stuck in the middle. They got Giannis, but he's bailing shit before they find out what they really can do. And they've been up and down. The Raptors are a good, are a nice team, but they're not about to compete for a championship. Why are the Magic going after these guys that have led kind of middling franchises? And uh, you know, I'm, you know, I am a Toronto, I'm a Tor- Toronto guy in that I think that the Raptors are a perfectly fine team, and it's. You know, sure, they may not have the top-end talent needed to win a championship, but there's nothing wrong with the Toronto Raptors. They are a good basketball team. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you got this a lot, too. When they got swept by the Cavs this year, it seemed like everyone was cascading in with the, oh, the Raptors are terrible, they suck, I can't believe how bad this team is, Uh, they need to blow things up. And I'm just sitting there like, this team just just made it out of the first round for for consecutive years now. They've still got a really nice core, a really bright future. They're a really good. Re- I mean, they're a really good regular season team at the very least. I think they're a team that's very difficult to prepare for on a on a regular season schedule. You know, maybe that changes a bit in the playoffs where you really focus in on 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 the star players. Mm-hmm. But what I mean, what's your impression of this debate on whether uh, on what the Raptors should do next and and where they're at as a franchise? Yeah, I mean, look, the Raptors front office has made two mistakes. The first one was not drafting LeBron James when they didn't have the opportunity to. So there's nothing they could do about that. And the second one, I think think 29 teams are in that boat. Yeah. And the second one is that they didn't blow up a team that got accidentally good once Rudy Gay got traded. Like the team had been horrible for a long time. They were like four or five years or I guess four years into the post Chris Bosh era, which was absolutely miserable for the fan base i stopped watching the team like i went to school during that year those years like i was doing my undergrad like kind of as bosch left i I went for i went i went up to school and like i just checked out because the team was so depressing and so just like just a a rotating cast of just really bad players and demar Derozan was like not really developing he didn't really seem like he had much of a future and you know they would keep trading for point guards who couldn't take jose calderon's job and it was just like a constant cycle of just really underwhelming and bad teams. And the Raptors traded Rudy Gay, got a bunch of pieces back, Lowry and DeRozan took off, and they got accidentally good. 
So they weren't going to blow it up after that first season. The second season, when they got swept by the Wizards in the playoffs, there was still little reason to blow it up. And then last season, they won 56 games. So, like, what are you supposed to do? Like, blow it up then after you lose in the conference finals and take two games off Cleveland? And even this year, like, they were – they didn't really have much time to gel, really. I mean, Lowry only played, like, four games after he came back from injury before the playoffs started. And the team never really got a chance. And Masai Ujiri's talked about this in his postseason sort of media – talking about how the team just didn't get a training camp. And Masai is a guy who's always kind of been averse to making midseason deals. You know, the one for Ibaka was the first one the Raptors have made since the Rudy Gay trade in the middle of the season. Um, like, he's always been a guy who likes to take the whole season approach to team building and not trying to, you know, piece things together late in the season. And that's for good reason, because I think you saw the Raptors just never quite gelled. Lowry and Ibaka never really found chemistry. And... Who's to say? Maybe if they had a full season to work things out, maybe they end up, you know, taking a game or two off the Cavs. I still don't think they're beating the Cavs because LeBron was playing some of the best basketball I think we've ever seen anybody play uh, in the first couple rounds of these playoffs. So, like, I don't know what you're supposed to do about that. And, like, people who call for the blow it up, like, it's... I, like they're at a point where they could probably do it pretty easily because Lowry could walk and you have all these free agents. And then DeRozan's deal is probably pretty tradable after the season he just had. Um, but like, I, I don't really understand the point of blowing it up when the best case scenario in all likelihood of a, of a rebuild is you get to right back where you are right now, where you're like a top seven or eight team in the NBA, you're winning 50 something games and maybe you're still sort of behind the warriors or the Cavs. And there's nothing you can do there. Or, you know, down the road, maybe it's Boston or Milwaukee that's the new sort of king of the Eastern Conference. And, like, finding a transcendent player by tanking, as the Magic well know, is not very easy to do. Like, it's a really hard thing to do. And tanking is a luck game, right? And, like, even it's the complete, It's completely a luck game. I mean, I, exactly. I, I, I've, so, had, I've had since, – since, since the Magic have hired a, a, the new – have hired Weltman – I've had a lot of people come to me and say, "Oh, now the Magic are going to be mediocre. They're never going to be any good. They need to keep. They need to tank and keep playing the lottery." And I, I turn to them. And I'm like, I've turned to a lot of these people and I've said, "They've tried that for five years, and frankly, mediocrity doesn't sound that bad right now. I think you can still build from mediocrity. I mean, look. I mean, look at the Raptors. Even yeah. they were put them. They put themselves in a position to acquire more talent at the trade deadline and push their push their chips in a little bit. This 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 deadline because they were at they were at least a, a palatable place for a guy like Serge Ibaka and PJ Tucker to say I'm willing to stay here and fight it out and and think I'm going to yeah. win a championship and I think the the Raptors feel comfortable if if they want that they can keep both of those players and I think it's a lot easier to to grow from the middle than it can be to grow from the bottom at a certain point you've got to leave the bottom of the league you can't, like I tell everyone you can't become the Sacramento Kings no offense yeah. to Sacramento. You, you can't you can't become one of those teams that that doesn't make the playoffs for a decade. You've got to find a way up, because there are multiple ways to 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 win champ. There there's probably only one way to win a championship. And that is have one of the best players in the league, and it's very hard to get one of those. Or so assemble I, I, four of the fifteen best players in the league, right? Like it's yeah. there are very few teams that can actually win a title, and that's just the reality of the NBA. And sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but like no no no, I'm, go for it. I'm totally with everything you're saying right now. The Raptors got really lucky in that Kyle Lowry decided to become a superstar, like, kind of overnight. And, you know, this season before he got hurt, like, he was playing, you know, at, at a career-best level. He was ridiculous this season. I think he finished the season, even though he missed, like, 21 games, I think he finished the season, like, eighth in total win shares. Like, he was just a monster this year for the Raptors. He was, you know, near, near the top of the, the categories and all the, the ESPN box plus minus and things like that. And... You know, that's how the Raptors got good. They were lucky that that happened, but 
you know, to blow it all up right now because like they think that because people think like, oh, they can't win a title. Like, I just don't really get the point of that. Like, yes, you're probably playing the game where you're hoping for a LeBron injury to be able to get to a finals and then you get to a finals and then you're hoping for a Warriors six injuries or whatever it would take to put them down. Um, but like I would much rather be in the position where you're waiting on that sprained ankle than to just to just any chance at all to capitalize if something does happen. And like I, I'm as someone again who has been a fan of the Raptors for a long time, who's followed this team for almost 20 years, like and seen a lot of really bad basketball and a lot of really bad players. I'm totally okay running it back, keeping the best era of the franchise going as long as possible, and then worrying about a rebuild down the road because there's always going to be some sort of roadblock unless you have one of those transcendent players, and there's like four of them. So I don't know. I, I, I'm very much in the boat of be try to be as good as you can be, especially when you have the talent and the means to be. And the Magic are in a tough spot because like they don't really have the talent necessary to get to that level that the Raptors did with Lowry and DeRozan a couple of years ago. But like, who knows? Maybe you know, you know, uh, someone could take the leap. I mean, maybe Eric Gordon becomes awesome. Maybe Terrence Ross actually becomes like what people thought Terrence absolutely. Ross could be with a, with a more of a role. Maybe they pull off some trade. Like, who knows? But I mean, um, when the Raptors when the Raptors got Lowry, a lot of people in the league were ready to give up on him. Like he was yeah. he was he was off everyone's radar. The Raptors, I mean, literally rec- rec- reclaimed him from the trash heap. Yeah. So I think yeah, and like maybe the Magic just get lucky and draft someone who can actually be that sort of star. Like this seems like a pretty good draft. Maybe they where are they picking again? They're like what? They're six? picking sixth. Six. Okay, so maybe yeah, maybe they get someone like and a Jason. Be a good player at six. Exactly right. Like it's a pretty deep draft. Maybe they get a Dennis Smith or a De'Aaron Fox or someone like that who can actually become like the focal point of a team. And then you're you're laughing. And then you have that pick that you got from the Raptors as well. Maybe that pops. Like. There are lots of ways uh, – the, the Magic and Raptors are in, like, completely different stages of their sort of franchise trajectories right now, so it's hard to draw any comparisons. But, like, the Magic, you know, uh, they don't really have – I don't know. It's hard to find, like, a path for how the Magic could do what the Raptors did a few years ago. But, like, I don't know. It's Like, no one would have thought the Raptors would have become good four years ago either. So uh, it, it all comes back – like, I don't think Jeff Weltman not winning a title is, like – like an indictment on him at all again like he didn't draft he didn't have lebron on his team although he did suggest that the bucks draft Giannis. and like if you're looking for a team that has a chance to win titles like john hammond and jeff weltman's fingerprints are all over that bucks team that like in 2020 is going to be an absolute monster so uh, i think uh, again i think going back to the weltman thing to tie it all together to wrap things up here like i think it's a good move for the magic and I, I think it's going to you know, probably bear some pretty nice fruit because he's done a really nice job here. And the Raptors organization, like it's hard to give Weltman too much blame or credit or, for, or whatever's going on here because, again, it's so cohesive. But like he's done some good things here and he's done some good things around the league. So I think you know, Magic fans should be pretty happy with what they've got in terms of their front office now. I think that is about as good a place to end it as, as we can just, just tie things up with a nice bow. You know, it's, like, it's like you host a podcast or something. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, crazy. Uh, Sean, uh, tell tell all my listeners on, uh, where, where, where where everyone can find you and, and, and a little bit about uh, what you got going on at Locked on Raptors. Yeah, uh, Locked on Raptors, still kind of working through some season-ending stuff, just reviewing players and things like that. Um, I'm hoping to do, like, I'm, this, the off-season seems daunting, so I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing to fill uh, the off-season shows, but I'm going to try to incorporate some, like, interesting guests, maybe from, like, outside of basketball to try to spice things up a bit, so stay tuned for that. 
uh, at Locked On Raptors on Twitter and on iTunes and stuff. You can follow me at Woodley Sean. You can follow. Uh, I actually I, I do writing for RaptorsHQ.com, which is SB Nation's Raptors site. So please check out the stuff there. I just wrote yesterday about Jakob Pertle and his rookie season. So uh, please click on my content. It's great. I, I enjoy the clicks. So uh, <laughs> please do that. Give us all the clicks. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to have you on in, in July when uh, during summer league when when Orlando City plays Toronto FC so we can uh, fill fill this off season as much as we can. Absolutely, um, I'm actually at the TFC game in like an hour, so um, oh, nice. nice. I'll, I'll be all up for talking about that nice. when Kaká comes through town. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we, we, I think I think that that game's in Orlando. I think Kaká already came through town and and Toronto. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Toronto doesn't let Orlando City score. It's very very sad. Yeah. Um, they're they're good. They're, they're Toronto teams. They're on a wave right now. It's nice. It's, uh, it's the first time in my lifetime where there's actually like good things to root for. And in Toronto. Leafs are good again too. That's yeah, that's uh, that's kind of like an under, a low key thing that like I think the Raptors could get away with a big rebuild because the Leafs are going to dominate the next five ten years of the <laughs> so like they could do it quietly and no one would care. But that's true. That's very very. Not, true. I'm not advocating for that plan whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 end this before we get too far off the rails. You can of course, uh, you can of course subscribe to. Be sure to follow Sean at all those places that he just said. Um, you can also find Locked On Raptors on iTunes and Audio Boom, as well as Locked On Magic because Locked On Magic are you know Locked On Magic is there too. And you can of course follow me on Twitter at omagicdaily, as well as check out Orlando Magic Daily for the latest on the Orlando Magic. Still plenty to do as as we're in full draft mode. I know. The Raptors. The Raptors have their first round pick just just before the Magic pick at twenty five, uh, but uh, this is a pretty big draft for the Magic. So we're we're, we're diving head first in into it and trying to stay on top of everything. Uh, Sean, thanks thanks for coming on and 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 giving us giving us a lowdown on our on our new boss here. Absolutely, man. Anytime. All right, and of course, I hope everyone. I'm I, I uh, I'm recording. We're recording this on a Friday, so I'll probably air this. On Memorial Day, so I hope everyone has or had a very happy Memorial Day, and I'll see you all again tomorrow on another episode of Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.